You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to Terps and the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Matt Levine with Lila Bromberg and Jordan Gold today. And normally we start with the NFL, but a big week in the NBA for former Terps, so we'll start there. I think the main guy we have to talk about is Jake Lehman, who had two consecutive 16-point performances. He's been so solid for this new Timberwolves team that he is playing for. And Jordan, you talk about him a lot. What did you see in these two performances? How have you seen him pan out so far? I mean, he's just been playing aggressive, and he's just been playing with that intensity needed to be a quality NBA player. They, the, the Timberwolves are now seven and four. One of the most surprising starts in the NBA. A team that was projected to really finish at the bottom of the Western Conference, and it seems like everything is just going right for them. People, Carl Anthony Towns is having a career season thus far. Someone like Andrew Wiggins is even playing pretty well, who's consistently struggled throughout his career. And then it goes down from there. It all trickles down to all the lesser uh, players, like someone like Lehman, who is just putting in great performance night after night off the bench. Like you said, two straight games with 16 points. He's now has his uh, points per game average up to 10.5. So he's really someone that's been coming in for the T-Wolves and giving them that spark that they need to sustain the great play from their starters. And both were big wins that he had the, you know, huge performances in. So the first is against Detroit, um, you know, this on Monday, and they went 120 to 114. He played 33 minutes in that game off the bench, and he shot 66.7% from the field. He shot 80% from uh, behind the arc on four for five. Uh, also two rebounds, a block, two steals. Um, you know, really just a solid performance with those 16 points. And then you know, the next game, he's only taking uh, three three-point shots and is uh, makes 33.3% of them. But, you know, he shoots seven for nine, uh, you know, from the floor, 77.8%, you know, to get those 16 points. And again, he is a two-steal game. Uh, he has three rebounds and assists. So, you know, it's not just the points of this. I mean, to have two steals in both those games and just how well he is shooting, I think, you know, it's only got to help his confidence and I think the biggest question for me right now is, you know, does he end up as in a starting role? Is he a guy that's better off the bench? Or is he a guy that's kind of shown to them, look, I have what it takes to start, and maybe he can do even more and get that confidence boost with that start? I think that uh, with the way he's playing, I think you you need to go with the old adage of if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, the Timberwolves are a team that, like we said, they're, they're overachieving, and if you're playing like this, like I don't think I think Lehman has served really well in this six-man role, and I think you know unless there's an injury, I think that he should probably you know stay in this role because I mean he's getting minutes that a starter would get, so it doesn't doesn't necessarily matter if he's in that starting lineup when the tip happens. I mean if he's getting minutes like this, finishing out games, stuff like that, does it really matter if he's coming off the bench or if he's starting because the minutes are there. He's playing starters' minutes. I mean that's you can see that from just looking at the game logs. Yeah, I agree with Jordan. I think it doesn't matter if he's in the starting five. You see him at the tip, whatever, and then he comes out. But he's getting those minutes that a starter would have. So he's playing among the most minutes on the team. I'm not sure the exact number, but he's up there in top minutes, and he's performing in those minutes. So, yes, you can say he should start, but if he's coming off the bench and producing this way, maybe they 
shouldn't change it right away and kind of see how this bench roll keeps keeps going uh, further on in the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Phil, like he's proved that he can play a bit better than some of the guys that they do have starting. And so I would like, I think he's shown that like he deserves that starting role and I would like to see that honestly. Um, but I mean, I think you're right. He is playing starters minutes. I just think that if you had that, it would do wonders for his confidence. And I honestly think it could help uh, this team in that regard. I I mean, I think he's just proven to be a really, really, really solid player for this team so far. I mean, he's right now third on the team in terms of, you know, three-point field goal percentage. He's right behind Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, he's currently shooting 35.6 on the season. Um, I believe he's in their top uh, four for scoring. Um, and it's really nice to see this from him. I think I said before the start of the season that I really thought that this would be the team that he would be able to carve out a role on. I mean, if he continues like this, is there a possibility for him to be up for something like sixth man of the year? Uh, I, I, think I feel that's, like that'd be a stretch. But I, think, like, I think that's jumping the gun a little bit. I mean, usually when you see guys who win sixth man of the year, their their points per game is, is a lot higher than simply 10.5. But nonetheless, he's been a really good bench player for them, and I think it continues and I think for for Jake, I mean, you mentioned like a confidence boost going into the starting lineup. I I don't necessarily know if that's the case. I mean, Jake Lehman's a pretty low key guy. He doesn't seem to be you know bothered by being on off the bench. I mean, you saw it in Portland. I mean, he started a lot of games and would come out pretty soon after and not get back into the game. So, but then he also had some starting games where he like played really for sure, really well. for sure. But I think that this this role just fits him really well, and I think he's done everything that Timberwolves could have asked from. From him thus far, I think he's really living up to that contract that they gave him over the summer. And, and I think he's some. more than living yeah, up to it. I mean, some. they got a skill with that. And mm-hmm. you look at some of the guys in the league that are making that much for sure, uh, that are making like around three million a year, and how little they're doing compared to what he's doing. I mean, and if he can continue this, I mean, two straight sixteen-point games. The game before that, he had eight points, and then fourteen and nine before that. So, I mean, he's been averaging in November eleven point seven points per game. Um, and he's, you know, been shooting 47.1% uh, from the floor, 357 from a uh, three-point range. So it's been a really, really good November for him. And I think he's just got to continue that. Um, like you said, I think that he is a guy that doesn't need the confidence from a start, but I think that could help anyone. And I think just showing him, seeing that, like, I can be on a team and have a role like this and big wins uh, will be really huge for him as well. And I think he got better just shooting wise in the offseason you talk about his percentages there but I saw a couple plays just on Twitter that I wasn't even watching the game just on Twitter where he had a defender oh that play was insane and he drains a three like it's nothing and it was he was right on him and he just like he takes like the tiniest step back and still somehow and it was nails it it was probably like five to ten feet behind the three-point arc as well so it was a pretty deep shot and he's able to get these shots to go in pretty easily that's what it looks like at least so I think he's done a lot better in the offseason in terms of shooting right and Kevin Herter also was starting to look really good right now we're waiting on news from him in their latest game uh he basically got you know hit by you know Jokic uh who's, who's a big guy and it he was a bit shaken up I think Didn't he was look good yeah he was like holding his hand at first and then he was holding his shoulder his he went arm, back to the locker room his arm went in a weird direction that you don't you don't want to see it was it was really funky and I think this could be not a lengthy injury but something that definitely sees him miss certainly a few games and that really sinks for him because I feel like he was just starting to get back from uh you know his injury 
of Vanessa, if he was finally like really getting in his groove of minutes and things like that. Um, and Chris Kirshner, who we had earlier uh, this year on this podcast, said that uh, he basically uh, returned to Atlanta for an MRI. Uh, he had an x-ray at the arena, which was negative, um, and they're waiting for results for the MRI, but he won't be on the rest of that road trip. Uh, but before that happened, he was really, really looking good. In that game, when he went out, he was shooting four for four from the floor, had made all three of his three-point attempts uh, with 11 points, four rebounds, and three assists. I mean, I think he was on track for a monster game. And the game before that, the two games before that, he had 15 points and 17 points and was shooting really solid numbers in those games as well. In the game against Portland with 15 points, um, he, you know, he forced... Uh, he forced a tie at the end of the game and then forced an overtime. And the Hawks really weren't able to get it done in overtime, but he was the one who gave them that opportunity twice uh, with, you know, tying the game. And then after, you know, the defense couldn't get it done, then sending it to overtime. And he shot uh, 41.7 uh, from the floor, 37.5 from three-point rage, five rebounds, two assists. The game before that, he had 17 points, uh, you know, four assists, three rebounds. Uh, and he was shooting 57.1% uh, from behind the arc and 60% from the floor. And he had 12 points in the game before that. So, you know, right now in the month of November, he was averaging 12.4 points per game and really, really solid shooting numbers, 48.9% from the floor and 48% from, you know, behind the arc, which is really, really impressive. Um, so it's just a shame to see him go down at a time like this. And you just have to hope that it isn't serious because you saw him really take some time to adjust uh, coming back from, you know, whatever that, you know, undisclosed knee injury was. So that's something you really don't want to see from him, especially, you know, just as he's starting to find his groove. For Herder, it sucks. For Haw for the Hawks, it sucks. For the fans, it sucks. I mean, this is just this is just not an ideal situation. You see him really starting to find his confidence and groove back. You know, it takes some time, especially for a guy who didn't have any training camp or preseason. So this is this was something that we had been waiting for him to finally break off that rust and show that he was the player that we thought he was. And he had really started to do that. It looked like he was about to break out. And I mean, that's still going to happen when he gets back on the floor, but hopefully this isn't something that sits him out for too long. Cause it's definitely not going to help the Hawks. The Hawks are already um, down John Collins to suspension. So, I mean, this is, this is a tough situation for them. And as, as an organization, I mean, obviously Trey young, has been playing close to a top, like a top 10 player in the NBA. So, I mean, that's where their offense and really their their wins are generated from. But, I mean, losing a complimentary guy like Herter, who had really been thriving, is just it's not, it's not good for them. That's for sure. Yeah, because I feel like they're just starting to hit their stride, like with two of them as those two guys are great with assisting to each other. And just, you know, some of those shots that Herter was making were just such deep threes and Obviously, Trey Young is such a talented player, but I think that, you know, in terms of the accuracy that Herter was starting to show was the best on the team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Trey Young's a great three-point shooter, but I think that it takes, like, he isn't a guy that's going to be shooting 100% from three-point range or, you know, even close to the numbers that, you know, Kevin's been shooting from that area, at least in this past month. So I think having the combination of the two of them would have been really, really good for this team. And so it, it's it's got to be concerning for, you know, the Hawks to, you know, have it. And like you said, John Collins out. Um, and then what we saw with that game too, is you saw a switch up where, you know, Alex Len wasn't starting for the first time, but he actually uh, had his best game of the season so far. Right, Matt? Yeah. Alex Len 
came off the bench in this one and had the best game of, of the season. But I just wanted to mention some, one more thing about Herter is that he's not just hitting threes. He oh, actually yeah. had like one of the best plays I've seen all season where it, they were playing uh, Portland and they were down by two with eight, eight seconds to go. Herter inbounds it, gets the pass back, and just drives to the hole and makes a layup. High arcing shot off the glass. And that's what sends it to overtime, right? And it sent it to overtime. And that was after a game-tying three. So he's been all over the place. He's been a much better scorer, showing he can actually do that, which he started off pretty rusty, and we all said it would come with time. And it did, but now, unfortunately, sidelined again. Hopefully not too long. But Alex Len, now up to 5.3 points per game and 4.7 rebounds per game. But against Denver, he had 17 points on 6 of 8 shooting, and that was off the bench. So I think his new role, if it does stay, would to be keep him off the bench, keep him coming off the bench because we he showed that he did he couldn't really do it as a starter this year we weren't sure why but maybe he'll have more motivation off the bench or he'll mentally think his role he doesn't have to do too much as a bench player whatever it might be but in this first game off the bench he played really solid and alex i think that this is is a wake-up call for alex you get sent to the bench for playing as poorly as he did and then you come out and have your best game of the season. I think that's a really good sign. And I don't know. I don't know if this is gonna stick. It's it's kind of weird. We saw it even in the preseason. His best game was the first game of the preseason. It was when he came off the bench. And then the next games, he started all of them and was pretty awful. And that carried into the season as, as he was the starter. And he was he was pretty bad to start the season. And now he comes off the bench. It's a little wake up call for him. Goes out, gets seventeen points, and. I think they're going to need to see a lot more of that from him. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's psychological. He uh, just couldn't really handle starting. But I think that it's definitely a little concerning because that is someone that the Hawks thought was going to be their starting center. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, it was just a case of he was a little rusty, like Herder, and he was shake. He finally shook it off, and hopefully when he gets slotted back into that starting lineup, if that does happen, which I think it would, considering. He's probably the best center on that team as of now. Um, that he comes in and gives that same type of production. I don't, maybe it's something that he's not coming off the bench. He's getting more opportunities. I, I don't know. I I didn't watch the last game against the Nuggets, but I I mean I saw he did. He had an incredible game. So I don't I don't know. Maybe that's it's a confidence thing. Maybe it's an opportunities thing. I, I think we'll have to see as the season goes on. And I think that's that's something that will play itself out. All right, but here's the thing with me, right? So, like, I get... So, in that game, Damian Jones starts for him. And I get, you know, he's older and Bruno's still a rookie. But I've been just confused as to why Damian Jones has been getting more opportunities this past month over Bruno. I think that Bruno had, you know, proved himself a little bit, um, you know, in the games where he did have the most minutes this season. He was putting up solid performances, um, you know, on November 6th, when he had 21 minutes, he shot 80% from the floor, which uh, and he had six rebounds, two assists, a steal, and 10 points. And then in the game before that with the most minutes against Philadelphia uh, in October, on October 28th, uh, he was shooting 71.4 from the floor, uh, 50% of his threes, four rebounds, two assists, two blocks, and 11 points. And, like, you haven't seen as big of performances for him when he's getting these smaller minutes, and it's because he isn't getting the opportunities. If you look at his games where 
he isn't putting up you know a ton of points where he's only putting up like three points two points four points it's because he isn't really shooting it that much and so I think that yes you have a guy like Damian Jones who is you know a bit older um and he's performing better now but I think that's because he's getting the opportunities um and is playing a lot more minutes I personally think that out of the three of those even though Alex Len did look better off the bench I think you have to have him start but if you don't I think you need to give Bruno a chance or at least start giving him more minutes because I don't I don't really know what happened. It just seemed like his opportunities started um, dropping off. But I feel like in the times when he has been aggressive and, sh- and you know, taken his shot, I feel like he's proven himself. Bruno definitely was playing pretty solid to start the season. And I think, I don't know, maybe he had a bad game or two and then the minutes started to go down. But I think for the Hawks, it's more so just trying to see what they have. I mean, Damian Jones was someone that they traded – they traded their former first-round pick, Amari Spellman, to get Damian Jones, who in his own right was a first-round pick. So I think that I think the Hawks are just trying to do their due diligence and see what they have here, trying to see what the future of the position looks like for their franchise. And I think with that comes um, an opportunity that needs to be given to Damian Jones. And I think it's probably simply something like that, more so than anything, uh, more so than any indictment of Bruno. I think that the minutes will come back for Bruno. But I mean, Damian Jones has been playing; he's been playing pretty solid. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. They have three centers that are, I mean, so, no no one has really put themselves ahead of the pack. I mean, they've all kind of been given the same type of uh, impact to the team. So we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be something interesting to monitor throughout the whole season. I think there's there could be a scenario when John Collins comes back that they go small and start John Collins at center and have Jabari Parker at the power forward position. So we'll see what happens with the Hawks. I think think it's a really interesting team that these guys are all playing on, an up-and-coming team, obviously. And I think it's more of them just trying to do their due diligence to see what they have. And you did have one point, I think, last game or the game before, where you had Len and Bruno on the floor at the same time. It wasn't for long. Um, it, was, it was for a short period of time, but I feel like that's something you could experiment with, too. <coughs> to- I think that's totally something that... Uh, that you can experiment with. I mean, it, I think it, it comes down to matchups as well. I mean, right. if you have two big guys on the floor for the opposing team, I think that it definitely could serve you well to have both those guys in it. I mean, Jabari Parker is obviously not someone who's known for his defense, although he's been playing better defense this year. So I think that's definitely something that you could see. I mean, it's just I think it's just going to come down to matchups. So now we'll move into football where it wasn't as big of a week as it was in the NBA for former Terps. We'll obviously start with Stefan Diggs. We always do. He had three catches for 49 yards against the Cowboys. Six targets, though, so three of those were receptions. And he had three phenomenal weeks in a row and then started to calm down a little bit. And now he's kind of in the middle where it's he didn't score, but if he scored with those 49 yards, it would have been a completely different game. Jordan, what did you see from Diggs in this one? I think this was just a product of a tough matchup. Cowboys have a, have a really good secondary, and I think that he just he just struggled. And I think it's also those first couple games when Thielen went down with the hamstring injury, he was really able to thrive. And they were also against you know some lesser defenses. But now I think these better defenses they see Thielen's out. They're really just zeroing in on Diggs and making sure he doesn't make that play. And I think that's what we're seeing. I mean. The red zone targets, I mean, we've we've seen the resurgence of Kyle Rudolph, who I think has three touchdowns in the past two games. So I think 
that's been something Kirk Cousins has been looking for. I mean, this hasn't been this has not been like the beginning of the season where Cousins wasn't playing well. Cousins has been playing fine. The Vikings have been I mean, they're one of the best teams in football, really, especially in the NFC. They're sitting at a seven and three record. I mean, they're in the playoffs right now as a wild card. I think that this is just a product. This is the we saw the ups of when someone like Thielen goes down with how Diggs performed initially, and now we're seeing the downs. And I think that I think that that's just football. I I don't think that's really anything Diggs is doing. And I mean, we've seen throughout Diggs's career, he can be a bit inconsistent. So I think that also comes into play a little bit. But I think they play the Broncos this week, which if Thielen doesn't play, that's going to be another really tough matchup. They have Chris Harris, one of the best cornerbacks in the league. So I mean, I think if Thielen plays, which doesn't, if I was the Vikings, I wouldn't be playing Thielen. They have a bye the next week, so I think you just sit him, let him get that hamstring right going into the bye, and then have him ready for that stretch run. I mean, that that hurts my fantasy team as an Adam Thielen owner, but uh, I think that that's that's probably the smart football decision. But uh, I think that I think that that's going to hurt Diggs if Thielen doesn't play this week because playing a guy like Chris Harris, I think that that's that's a tough matchup for anyone. Especially, I mean, that's going to be tough for Diggs. I think I think he probably would still have a little bit better of a week than he had last week. I mean, 49 yards is not too hard to top, but I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't find the end zone again next week, especially if Thielen's not out there. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of receivers, you know, DJ Moore, while Stefan Diggs has been off of his game, DJ Moore has looked really, really good the past two weeks. Uh, this past week against the Packers, he had nine catches uh, for 120 yards. Uh, he had a 38 uh, long reception play. Um, and, you know, he the past two games has had over 100 yards um, and has really, you know, kind of broken out and really found his groove with Kyle Allen. And I think, uh, you know, if he can continue on this streak, it's, it's going to do really well for him. Again, like we said, he still has not really found the end zone much this season, but he has been putting up solid numbers. Moore has, has been playing like a, a Pro Bowl receiver the past two weeks. And I, th- I think it's it's really good to see. He's really found that, that rapport with uh, Kyle Allen that we had talked about before that he hadn't found. So it's really good to see. Obviously, it's tough not to see him get in the end zone. It's still only one touchdown on the season. But, I mean, they've, they've been relying on McCaffrey in the red zone. And also, Curtis Samuel has been getting a bunch of touchdowns recently. So I think that that's... I don't, I don't know if it's intended to be like that. I'm not sure. I think I do think this week they play the Atlanta Falcons, which is one of the worst defenses in the league, especially in their back four in that secondary. So this is a juicy, juicy matchup for DJ Moore. I think he can really thrive against the Falcons, who are just 2-7, and seven, obviously coming off a big win against the Saints, which was very shocking. But I think that this is a matchup. Panthers need to bounce back after the loss to the pack hard fought loss that saw them lose at the goal line um on a fourth down which you know sucked for them but i think that this this matchup is one that Moore could really exploit and i think this is a matchup where he could have that 30 to 50 yard touchdown pass where he just you know breaks out into the open field and next thing you know he is celebrating six so i think that that's something that's very possible the falcons are not a team that uh is known for their secondary play. And do you think that DJ Moore can finally find the end zone again I'm, for the second time this year? I'm going to say yes. I think I think this is the week that he gets his second touchdown. I I really do. The Falcons, like I said, they're just 
not a good defense. And I think that if, if you get him into open space, I think he's going to be able to do his thing and find the end zone like he did against that against the Cardinals that uh, game more than a couple weeks back at this point. I mean, we're already into going into week 11. I can't believe it. The NFL season just goes by so fast. But I think that this is uh, – this is, I think this is the game he gets that second touchdown. And also in that game with DJ Moore was Darnell Savage. He had five tackles in that game. I was, I, It wasn't very likely to see him against DJ Moore, but I wanted to see it. I wanted to see a jersey swap. Then it started snowing, so I guess it would have not been the best for them if they took their jerseys off and did a jersey swap. I don't know what happened with that, but, I mean, he's been, you know, really just solid. I'd like to see him have a few more breakout games but he's been putting up solid performances each week I feel yeah I feel like every week whether it's just kind of mediocre but it's also he's he's a rookie he was playing really well early on he got hurt and now he's put up these very consistent performances and that's what you want is consistency you know he's a guy that you can rely on and you can kind of you just put him out there on the field you know what he's going to do so I think he's been playing really well and I don't think there's anything that he needs to change right now He's been he's been very solid for them. I mean, he has 36 total tackles on the season. That's that's a very good mark at this point. He'll finish pretty high, I'm sure, in terms of rookies uh, with tackles. And I think he's just a, a really solid contributor for them this season. He's had those breakout games. He's been a little more quiet because uh, because I, I'm not sure maybe coming back from the injury. But I think that. Uh, he they have a bye week this week and then they play the 49ers which is going to be a huge matchup two of the best teams in the NFC going at it and i think that that could be a matchup where he really shines against an offense that isn't the 49ers known for their defense that offense isn't incredible it's a solid offense but he'll have his work cut out for him going up against a guy like George Kittle and i'm sure we'll get i'm sure we will get more into that next week but i think that uh Moore has opportunity through their final uh, four games to really break out and solidify himself as one of the top rookies. Yeah, and right now, I mean, he slid down a little bit because he started off a season really hot. And, you know, obviously you have to factor in that he missed two games. Um, but looking, Three games, really. Or I mean. three games, yeah, you're right. So looking at the stats, he's right now, you know, tied for ninth in terms of, um, you know, total solo tackles with 29. And then he is the 36 combined, which is round tied for, you know, 13th. So he's fallen down a little bit. I mean, but you have to then take in um, in context with that, just the fact that, you know, he did miss those games. And then if you looked at, you know, he had that forced fumble. So, you know, he's tied, uh, you know, for six in that position with a ton of other, you know, rookies as well. And then if you look at interceptions among defensive, you know, rookies, he's, you know, up there tied for third, um, you know, with a bunch of other guys with one. And so I think that, he does still have a chance if he can really, you know, have some monster performances in these few games to really put himself back in the conversation, uh, at the top of the conversation for defensive rookie of the year. But I think he has slid off a little bit, but it's not necessarily something that's really his fault. It's just, you know, he did have to miss those games for injury. Yeah, it's also the emergence of Nick Bosa. And the position and, he's at. Yeah. Like, you're not going to get insane stats as it's as really hard. he's at, but he's still making an impact even if it's not showing on the stat sheet. We talked about it earlier. It's really hard to win a defensive rookie of the year in the secondary position. We we had looked at it a uh, while back, right when the season had just started, when, Moore, or when Savage was you know really leading the pack for that award. 
And he, I mean, there hasn't been a secondary player to win that award. I'm pretty sure we found since Charles Woodson back in, I think it was like 1998. So it's a really tough thing to accomplish. And I don't think anyone is going to be knocking for not winning that award, given how good these defensive rookies have been. I mean, you look at some of the best safeties right now, someone like Jamal Adams, like he, even he, I mean, he's probably the best safety in football right now. And he was, he wasn't incredible I mean he had a solid rookie season but he wasn't even close to in consideration for the defensive rookie of the year so I think that's something really common for secondary players especially safeties. oh yeah for sure and I, I don't think that's anything to worry about I think he's had a really good rookie season and I think this is a guy that the Packers are going to view as a key member of their defense going forward one of their best players on defense for sure and you saw that when he went out with the when he missed those three games I think it was I, the, the Packers defense was not the same not at all and Yannick Ngakwe had a bye week, and that plays the Colts this week. He's he's on one of the best, uh, or the Colts are one of the best O-lines. So he's going up against one of the best O-lines. And I would argue <coughs> that the Jaguars have one of the better defensive lines in football because of him, specifically him leading that defense. And although we mentioned it that with Jalen Ramsey's departure, they play different positions, but now Ngakwe's kind of emerged as the main defender on this team. And he put up a lot of solid performances. So now going up against the Colts, do you expect the same from him? This is going to be a really tough matchup. He's going to have his work cut out for him. Yannick is really, before the bye week, he was really on quite a hot streak, racking up a lot of sacks. He also had that pick six. So I think this, this is going to be a tough matchup. I, I, I would be a little surprised if we saw him get a sack, just cause knowing how good that Colts O-line is. It's going to be tough for him, but I think – they're one of the best defensive lines in the league, Yannick, Kalias, Campbell. So I think that he definitely has a chance to break out, especially with how well he's been playing. We'll see what happens. You know, have Jacoby Brissett coming back from injury this week. It's really going to be it's – this is a huge matchup in the AFC South. I mean, the Colts come in at 5-4 and four and the Jags come in at 4-5. and five. So this is, this is huge for the wild card race, huge for the AFC South. So these guys are going to have a lot to play for. It's a really big matchup that I'm excited to see go down. Yeah, and another guy this past week that we talked about him, I believe last week or or the week before, is, you know, really starting to break out is Trey Edmonds. And he had just a weird stat, amazing stat this week. It wasn't wasn't his rushing that got him in the news. It was a special teams interception. The Rams, they're playing the Rams this week, and the Rams are known for uh, their fake punts with uh, punter Johnny Hecker, who has a some college quarterbacking experience and Trey Edmonds was ready for it. He got it. He had a nice little pick. He didn't really do anything after the pick. He was tackled, you know, immediately after just cause of how many guys were in his area, but he was the first running back to record an interception since 1988. So that's a impressive, also probably a little <laughs> bit lucky stat for Edmonds to record. And, what, he didn't really get it done on the ground. He only had four carries for one yard in this game. Also recorded two catches for 14 yards. And James Conner is going to be coming back for their matchup tonight against the Browns. So I think that it's going to be tough for Edmonds to get consistent carries in that backfield. But I think he's earned himself a spot on the roster with his special teams play. And I, I would be surprised to see him cut after how well he played on special teams. I was surprised even to hear that another running back had to have that. I would love to hear more about that 1988 yeah. play because that's just uh, – I, I remember seeing – like I saw it on Twitter and I was like, what? Like he got an interception? Yeah, <laughs> pretty wild. 
And then, you know, Ty Johnson, it's kind of up in the air with him, another running back in the league. He left last game with a concussion after five carries for 16 yards, and it's still kind of up in the air, I think, what's going to be going on uh, with him. This was tough for Ty Johnson. He leaves the game early with a concussion. He had five carries already for 16 yards. He had a long rush of 10. So I think this could have been a matchup where he had maybe seen his best performance since carry on went out, but it ends up getting sidetracked. You have J.D. McKissick have a nice game. That concussion's tough. I mean, the, the Lions' backfield is a mess, but we, we had really thought that Johnson was going to be the guy to replace carry on, and it just hasn't worked out that way for him. We'll see what happens. Hopefully he's back from the concussion this week. I hadn't seen any updates yet, but hopefully he's back to play the Cowboys this week, which is a tough matchup, but... I think that Johnson has an opportunity these final four to five games to really solidify himself as a, obviously Carrion's going to be the guy for them in the future, but as his main backup, as someone who could, who they can give carries, they can take Carrion out for a series and he's going to produce. I think that's, that's what you want to see from Johnson the rest of the season. So thank you for joining us on this edition of Terps in the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Be on the lookout of all of our coverage of these former Terps, and we thank you for joining us.